Welcome to the Rhode Island Liberty Report, your source for libertarian commentary on current events in the Ocean State and Southern New England. Coming to you from Rothbard Studios. Welcome back, and here we are with another episode of the Rhode Island Liberty Report. I'm Mike, and with me, as always, are Bill and Sean. How are you guys doing? Great to be back, as always. Doing good. It's a blast. Nice fall weather we're getting. Um, nice loving cool it. this weekend. Yeah. 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 It is starting to get cooler. It was a little warmer uh, the week before, but... <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to be playing with that, I don't think, until we're old and gray and uh, probably buried. <laughs> that goes away. Yeah, it was a good, good weekend. We got uh, some vehicle maintenance done here on the house. And uh, interesting, we'll get into it a little bit later. I think we might touch on some of these points, but supply chain issues, right? Just getting car parts. Yeah. I had to do the brakes oh, yeah. on, on one of our, our vehicles. And I had to hit up like O'Reilly's and Napa and AutoZone, like just to get all the parts I needed. It was no one-stop shop, you know, get all hmm. the parts here. Um, and I was talking to one of the guys at the condo and they were waiting to get a part out of the back. And uh, he's like, yeah, we're having a hard time. Not only one with help, getting help, but also getting just a constant supply of parts. Yeah. Well, they, they say that, number one, uh, there's the shortage of vehicles, uh, new vehicles, because of the, the computer chip issue. Yeah. And um, there's also, that means that people are keeping their cars on the road longer, so they have more maintenance. Uh, but a big thing they're finding is that the car's sitting for a while uh, during the pandemic. So that's oh, why they're having a lot of repairs that are being needed, and that's uh, creating another... Uh, supply chain issue but um i, I looked at it as an advantage for for myself there's less mileage on the car but you're right yeah a car that sits is not a it's not a good thing for a car no and 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 again it's it's it, this is the supply chain issues is not surprised that uh, we have a bunch of people in the biden administration that's in charge of this type of thing that aren't necessarily focused on uh, transportation logistics getting the uh the nuts and bolts of running a government they're more concerned about you know, equity and, and, uh, allowing things uh, to be, uh, you know, equal amongst everyone as, as in this case, everybody doesn't get anything right. That's the, the, right. the equity we all are exactly. realizing. Yeah. So it sounds like that person's reading off the same playbook as uh, secretary of commerce as well. <laughs> lately. Well, we're moving forward, John. Oh, moving forward. Yes. Yes. Build, Build back, back better. better. <laughs> oh, geez. You know what else is building up these days? It is the Rhode Island state debt. Oh. You don't say, um, now I know everyone waits for this part of the podcast every time. Sean, what's going on with the debt? Is it going to start going down? And I'm, I'm looking at it live right now. And unfortunately, gents, it keeps going up. Wait, hold on a second. No, it's still going up. Yep. <laughs> so we're at 11,804,872,000 and growing in debt. We're spending close to $14 billion this cycle. It's getting really bad. You, you know what's really bad is when the number is so large, it's hard to read. <laughs> it really is. I, I struggle sometimes. I got to write it down. This, this time I'm Billions, reading all millions, my Hundreds oh. of millions. Uh, Unbelievable. And, and it's way too much. And, you know, j- just to, to dive right into some of the stuff we've got planned to talk about. Uh, did you guys get the latest press release from McKee? I, it didn't. I I must have missed it in my mailbox. But oh, uh, well, was it announcing he was extending the uh, emergency order and oh, uh, that that as well? Or that was was that today? Or uh, it was well, it was Saturday. Saturday they announced yesterday. it on Friday though. But I know that was part of a press briefing. Haven't we been in a state of emergency for like five hundred twenty plus days? Well, now? I thought the General Assembly made it so you weren't allowed to extend the uh, the state of emergency. But I guess the de- Delta variant. But then he announced that uh, they were closing the field hospital. And that there was like, you know, 90% vaccination rate amongst adults in, in Rhode Island. And they started firing, you know, healthcare workers. Yeah, so, they don't need them. No. I mean, so apparently. Apparently that's yeah. not what is needed. So um, 
Yeah, I, I guess I guess that means that what exactly is the emergency, right? What is the emergency that we are under an executive order emergency for, and what can they not do if it wasn't for the state of emergency that they that they couldn't do normally as normal legislatures? And where is the general assembly, and why aren't they meeting to take power back from the executive branch? It's funny because they're picking and choosing like different things that they want to show up and do. You know, I was I was reading some articles and they had showed up just to start talking about some of the money that they want to spend and. And McKee's been on task for that, too. He owed the the, the U.S. Department of Treasury uh, a plan on how they're going to spend all these federal funds. And uh, he failed to do that. But now, guys, on Friday, he announced the Rhode Island 2030 plan. We're charting a course for the future of the ocean state. It's a working document. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that he put out. It's a 10-year plan that uh, ends in 2030, so yeah. in typical Rhode Island fashion. Either we're we don't know how to do math or we're a little bit late to the, late to the gate. <laughs> well, if you look at the, the, what the RICAS scores, I think we are pretty behind in math. Maybe, yeah, it be, yeah. maybe it's inflation, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but they put this together primarily to answer the call of, hey, this is our kind of plan that we're going to do. He did that a few months ago where he submitted something preliminary and this is like the same thing as that, except it has a couple pictures in it. So they paid a contractor to put it together instead of the word document they were passing before. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, I'll go through this a little bit, some highlights and, uh, is it the same people that did cooler and warmer? I wonder. Well, you know, this is a Rhode Island commerce corporation product. Oh, okay. So, okay. We'll get into that. <laughs> All right. But you know, the purpose of this, he's putting together this plan for the next 10 years or at least until 2030. And it's supposed to help guide policy priorities, federal spending, strategic collaborations, and legislative initiatives. That sounds pretty good. While the plan is not aimed at solely addressing the federal dollars coming to the state, which mostly it is, a key goal of the initiative is to help Rhode Island leverage the state fiscal recovery fund, which is all from those different dollars, right, to achieve the goals set of what they're going to do to get Rhode Island to 2030. Not only to get us to that time period, but to enhance and you know, build back better. Because without government, how would we ever get to 2030, right? I know. L- luckily, we have a plan now. We didn't have a plan before. We okay. didn't have a plan this whole time. But now, we've got a plan. It's 53 pages. And I saved everyone listening the trouble of reading it. And we'll go over the highlights. And, and I like how you printed on both the front That's and the back, Sean. No. That's like a very environmentally conscious of you. I think I commend you. you know. Thanks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and thank you for reading the humanitarian effort on your part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is rough. Um, so he says that the process of coming up with this plan, right, began with a series of virtual community conversations focused on key topics of interest for Rhode Islanders, such as housing, tourism, small business, climate change, children and youth services, health, higher education, and more. And he, what, what they really did is they set up these virtual talks, and I went to go view one of them, and I couldn't stomach the whole thing. But they said, oh, we reached so many people as a community conversation. They picked the panelists from their friends, people from the Commerce Corporation, experts on climate change and all this stuff. And they all kind of have their own little things going on. Right. And, uh, you know, the video I watched had three views, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, you know, there were it ranged by the topic. They engaged with the community, though. Maybe their platform is not YouTube. That's where I watched it. So maybe it's a huge presence. Yeah, maybe they're on, you know, live leak or something. Maybe Uh, maybe big tech is throttling their information. I don't know. Pornhub is. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. All right. So apparently the the videos have been viewed a bunch. They got 500 comments from the public, which, again, they didn't incorporate any chat or questions or anything. They had these predetermined kind of staged presentations and they would all sit on a Zoom call and talk about it. So they held 13 of them. 
And out of those 13 online pre-stage conversations, they came up with a list of priorities. All right. So one of the priorities is supporting small businesses. All right. Great that they actually start doing that. I mean, (laughs) it would be fine. It would be great if they actually get started with that after all these years. But go ahead. Yeah. And as everyone knows, right, small business is huge in in a small state like Rhode Island. Uh, if small businesses were one employer, they'd be the largest employer in the state of Rhode Island. So just by far. So, you know, one of the key things that he says here is, you know, let me back up real quick. It's funny in the press release. It was actually not like McKee's plan or anything. It was the McKee Mattis administration's plan. So they've been really linking the two of them together. I don't know if he's trying to break the mold or if he's just trying to hold on to something. They're trying to run quasi on the same ticket, uh, kind of like the... um uh, Matt Brown, uh, Matt, Sabina Matos, uh, uh, t- yeah, on the, on the Rhode Island co-op, uh, they're trying to combine the, the race into one ticket and they're going to run together, uh, to hopefully, I don't know, consolidate that part of the, uh, the base, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Old move. Yeah. Old strategy. Cause you know how much people are tuned into the Lieutenant governor position and, and, and all they do right. for the state of Rhode Island. Hey, you know what? I, I continue to follow her social media feed. If you guys missed that episode where mm-hmm. I went through her first hundred days, that was also she, painful. This is the stuff I do for you guys. How, how has she had any more lunches or dinners? She or? did get her flu shot. Oh, that's good. Oh, I saw that. They're yes. recommending, yeah. they're recommending you, you should do that. that. Yeah. Now, um, and we also did an episode about that, about the state supply, right? How so that yeah. they're, 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 they're sticking you in the arm and they go, yeah, well, I don't know, put in the show notes, I, we're, we're all, we'll link back to these yeah, other episodes. I can't wait for the ceremonies for tetanus shots, you know, yeah. when, when that comes down the, the pipe, you know, <laughs> we'll hear about it. So, you know, they say that, you know, not only are small businesses a crucial part of Rhode Island's economy, but entrepreneurship represents an important opportunity for job creation, wealth building and economic growth. That sounds good on paper, right? You know, small businesses face several challenges from accessing capital to navigating regulatory requirements at the federal, state, and local levels. And the COVID-19 pandemic has caused many of these challenges while introducing new ones like reduced consumer confidence and workforce shortages. So they're saying that it's difficult to navigate the regulatory environment in the state of Rhode Island. That is exactly what they're saying. In their working document. Work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the natural... I'm just glad that I get to the second paragraph and it already told us the problem, right? Exactly. I I know exactly what we should be doing. They're they're identifying that. You know, they also said that supply chains and business models are disrupted for many industries. I think it's apparent here that the the reason why all these problems happened at the federal, state, and local levels is because of the government. All right. They were the ones that said, you have to stay home. Stay home for two weeks. You can't go to these types of restaurants. You can't. So this is good for the economy. (laughs) (laughs) I I love how they're like Monday morning uh, quarterback in this whole. They do. Isn't this government's mo on everything? They completely. Why aren't they talking about how they weren't preparing the supply chains and everything like that prior to the pandemic? Instead, it's like, oh, we have these issues with supply chains. It's a major priority in in our thirty year plan or ten year plan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's gone now. No, her her and her and Pete Buttigieg, who's on maternity leave, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Maternity? <laughs> yeah, no, he is. No, that's what he's on right uh, now. Yeah. yeah, is it maternity or paternity? Oh, I, I, I well, I, I, I don't want to assume. Any, I don't want to yeah, assume I, anything, no. Mike. So, yeah. <laughs> and again, whatever you want, it doesn't. Yeah. So they they organize this plan <clears throat> in different bullets, right? So what they heard from all the people that didn't engage in the conversations is that small businesses confront multiple barriers that impede their long term success, especially in areas like licensing, zoning, regulatory compliance, and access to capital. So. So all the things that we've been talking about, about 
problems that, that are holding small businesses back. They, they know about this on the, uh, in the working document. Okay. Yeah. So what are they going to do to fix it? Well, the, the, they, they get to it. Okay. I, I think well, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. So, you know, they, they organize and say, Hey, what are we doing now? So that's how they structure everything. And so really, we're screwing shit up now. Yeah. So all, right. all they said is, Hey, we, we found all these problems. We saw what was going on and all we did was hand out a bunch of federal money. Now, if you listen to past episodes, we found out they didn't really hand out everything they were supposed to. That's right. why they're in trouble right now. It's, it's just one of those things. And they didn't have a response to what they were doing for this. So, you know, they've got some objectives that they've set for small businesses. Uh, they're setting objectives for small businesses, which it doesn't say they're going to do any of this. stuff. So, oh, OK, you know, uh, you know, one of them is to increase the number percent and long term success of minor, minority owned businesses in the state. That's going to help us recover. You know, there's there's a there's a lot of equity talk. And, you know, uh, when you get down to it, equity is important. But there are a lot of things that you can do to achieve that goal without getting the government in the way, right? If you know, if we if the state went around and broke everybody's leg, and then they gave them a crutch that they had to pay for, and said, "Here, I'm going to assist you now," right? It, that, that's this is this, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'll give you a discount on the crutch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they they indicate that uh, the pandemic, Only for their <laughs> the pandemic had such a big impact on small business and especially minority-owned businesses since a lot of those businesses operate without financial safety nets. Are they going to require the minority owned businesses to get the vaccine to get any of this funding or, you know, what the, you know what the interesting <laughs> thing is in this whole document, they don't talk about the vaccine. Mm. Maybe they want it to be evergreen. Just, you know, they, can... <laughs> they don't want to limit that to 2030. There exactly. could be a few shots out there. Yeah. You know, so um, and they also said what uh, they're also doing this. So they're helping, you know, the state and many towns are easing certain restrictions on businesses such as relaxing business filing requirements, permitting additional outdoor dining capacity, allowing uh, carry out alcohol, because these are the things that are, you know, saving us when we're, we're shutting everybody down. I, I love that permitting more outdoor dining. Like, we're going to give you permit, may, you know, if it pleases the crown, may I have more people sit outside my restaurant? Yeah. And, and again, throughout this whole thing, they just keep repeating the same things. Many businesses struggle to navigate federal, state, and local regulations. They just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Let me eliminate the regulations. Like, <laughs> like it, it sounds very apparent. <laughs> so, you know, here are the actions that they're taking on all this. They, they listen to all this stuff. Uh, and let's see. They're going to provide support to businesses. They're going to up, help upgrade HVAC systems and uh, increase outdoor capacity proceeding. So we're going to socialize HVAC repair and these upgrades. Are, and These are capital <laughs> improvements that, you know, like you, if you're running a successful business, not to mention that it's like how many businesses are actually own the building there. And I, I'm sure there's a plenty that do, but a lot of businesses are like leasing from uh, yeah. other business uh, uh, owners that are renting out the commercial space. So uh, this, but again, again, it goes, I think to the point that Sean was making earlier, they break your, your leg and, that, and off your crutch. Right. So they're, they're, you know, stifling the business so they can't, raise those capital funds to make those repairs or improvements. And then, you know, now they're going to come and be the savior yeah, and get you stuck, you know, stuck on their, then they're going to write their their system. Then they're going to write an article in the local paper. There'll be a picture of the, the state rep. Hey, we put this HVAC system in this business. Look at me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're going to have bill. They're not just going to do that. They're going to evaluate rule and regulation changes that they made during the pandemic on a temporary basis. That, and they're going to see if they can continue those to, to see if it'll benefit both businesses this, this and consumers. What we continuously say is that it, during it, 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 all in normal times, the regulations, the thin regulatory line is the only thing saving us from calamity. But as soon as the pandemic and this whole thing hits, we need to give up all these regulations because that's the only way we're going to save the economy. 
It, I like what the hell? Like this is their whole entire document. Well, the businesses are all screwed up. Let's give them more money so they can navigate, or let's have the Commerce Corporation have classes so that they can show them how to navigate this net, uh, the state and local regulations. Give me a break. You set me up good. So speaking of that, uh, they are going to, uh, they're going to have initiative to fund new and support the expansion of existing direct and technical assistance programming for small businesses. So more training, but this is also going to include direct business assistance. They're going to offer back office services to small businesses educational resources, programming to encourage small businesses to improve operations and increase productivity through investments in technology. Now, if you're a small business owner, one would think that you would, these are things that you would do as, as a business owner, not necessarily needing the government to. Yeah. And, and like, the, I want to go to the government for bit, you know, uh, for education on how to run a business. <laughs> well, let, let's, let's put the brakes on this for a little bit because it, not for a little bit, but for just for a second and just reflect on this for a minute, because you know, as terrible as this stuff is, and we'll sit here and rail against how bad this is, it is out there. The businesses are out there. So if you're an informed Rhode Islander listening to this podcast and you're of a certain mindset, you know, pay attention to this stuff. If you can take advantage of any of these, by all means, if you don't step up and take some of this money, get some of your tax dollars back, you know, some crazy, you know, leftist group is going to do to do some program to put in place to put even more uh, weight and burden on your shoulders. So, you know, if you are listening to this and this is something that sounds like you might be able to take advantage of, you know, like by all means, please do, because uh, all, we're all about getting your tax dollars and putting it back in your pocket. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they just, you know, it's just repeats here in this small business section, right? They're going to ease licensing and permitting, increase access to procurement contracts for in government agencies. Here's a, here's a quote that I thought was interesting from one of the sessions, right? So, um, I'm, this is from, uh, someone, a small business owner. Uh, I have been the only female, the only black person or the only immigrant in many different scenarios. And I think that there needs to be a connection for entrepreneurs or men mentorship for people who like me, uh, who look like me from people who look like me. So I think that's another really big gap that I've noticed throughout my time. And it then goes into bullets in here on about how the state needs to foster that environment, that the state has to create these groups to provide the mentorship for the very, very niche things where business owners can go do this. Now you don't need yeah. the government to go connect with other people. Yeah. I, I mean, I love what she's saying, right? Like she wants, she's looking for like a, a, some kind of association or club or some, you know, networking opportunity. What do they call a mastermind group or, or something to that effect? PNI, but you don't need the government to do that. Like do it yourself. She's, you know, take some, you're an entrepreneur, take some initiative, form it, you know, get with a couple of other friends of yours that you know are in the similar situation and start your own route. Like nobody's stopping you from doing that. Absolutely. Well, you don't need the government to do that for you. Yeah. You know, I'll go through a couple more, you know, they're going to expand access to capital. So not, you know, through state funds, but they said they're going to take federal funds and then hand it out to small businesses, uh, especially those that uh, are disadvantaged from an equity perspective. Uh, they're going to expand uh, workforce development programs. They're going to explore health insurance cooperatives. Uh, and they are going to eliminate paper forms for businesses. Oh, so that's what they're going to do. So that is McKee's plan uh, uh, to build well, back better. Eliminate paper forms of business. I wonder who they're going to give that contract to. That's yeah, software exactly. development contract. <laughs> well, yeah, no. Deloitte again, or you know. <laughs> well, they have these uh, master service agreements, and I, I don't know if we talked about this in a past episode, but they actually the Department of Administration uh, added a one percent uh, fee on all government contracts. Now think about. It. Department of Administration, every single contract, they've put a 1% fee. 
And what are all the companies we talked about this? They do. They're not going to just eat that 1% fee. They're going to build it into the price. And it's going to raise the price of the contract. And the state doesn't care because their 1% fee is going to go up then. So what the hell do they care? Uh, but that money's supposed to go to a technology fund. And, you know, it's supposed to be to, for them to be able to bid on jobs. But I'm sure they're, you're, they're, well, hopefully they're, they're earmarking putting this money into, into something if, uh, if they're, they're taking it from the taxpayers. But, God only knows. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was it for small business. That's that was the plan over the next, you know, until 2030. That is what the state's going to do. It, maybe it'll get better. He's got other priorities in here. So maybe oh, he's okay. not going to focus on that one. Right. Yeah. So the next one is investing in our children, families and early education. Government investing in children. Because they've been doing so well so far. Yes. So. yes and, and, you know, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> the what they're trying to do is to make sure that you know, children have access to high quality, affordable child care in which no family in the state must spend more than 7% of income to access high quality child care. So they're setting a limit on the basis of uh, a person's uh, income there. And they're, they're, they're setting that's the federal standard for child care affordability, but already they're going to try to adopt this type of model and then do some sort of you know, price fixing. And, you know, and, and I'll get to a quote in this in a little bit, but the, the local community care, all those centers, they're loving it. They're loving that there is some level of government intervention to fix the prices. Yep. Well, they are not. They did uh, unionize daycare workers a few years back. You guys I remember, remember that, that, right? Yeah. Where they, they, the home daycare workers, they gave them money. They gave them access to like a, gave them a computer and everything like that. And you could just sign up your grandmother to watch your, your kid in your house and have her uh, get all sorts of uh, benefits from the, from the state. Um, you can use campaign funds for it too now, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Take it. Yeah. <laughs> Again. We talked about it on another episode. Yeah, you know, so they're gonna they're they're planning to implement universal pre-K, implement universal access to health insurance for children, regardless of their immigration status. So just tying that to COVID, that's the interesting thing, right? So universal yeah. pre-K. It's gonna this is all supposed to be coming back from COVID, yep. right? right? And the funds that are being provided is for the state recovery fund because of COVID impact. But instead, they're just you know they got a blank canvas now and be like, oh, yeah. where do I want to put this money? If yeah. you're unvaccinated, you get to access that, this, this. Well, that's the thing. That's what, kind of what I was thinking, right? They, so they're going to require those vaccinations. And now you're, you know, again, it's a two-tiered society, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. And they, they did put some stats in here. So they're talking about, you know, where we are today as Rhode Island emerges from the pandemic relative to childcare, right? So the pandemic forced many parents out of the labor force because they had to take care of their children. The labor force participation rate fell and they, they cited some big numbers, but it was less than 1%. The majority of the workforce that fell, and I've read this in other articles, has been all women because they have to stay home and take care of the children. Overwhelmingly, that's what is the case. Usually, I mean, again, not to overgeneralize, but I mean, just statistically, (laughs) men are usually earn more than the women do or uh, the women are better uh, child care providers. And so, again, this is, you know, this is something where the uh, the progressive and the left argument about. Uh, women's pay gap and women's pay right. equity and everything doesn't line up uh, because again, it, it's like you have this this problem that you've manufactured and that you're talking about, and here's a situation that actually is happening, and the mandates themselves are causing a adverse problem, just like the vaccination mandates are having an adverse problem against the minority communities. This uh, mandates and these uh, problems that we're having in the schools and the mass mandates and everything like that are having a bad impact on women in the workforce and they're going to be set back significantly for years to come and they're never going to be able to recover and they're going to use this in the future going forward and saying that this is why 
you know, women need to be paid more. There needs to be equity because they don't have the same. And again, there's so many outside factors and, you know, they, it, again, it's, it's, it's just a false argument. It's, it doesn't hold water. It's funny you say that because the state says something different about why that is. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Now get it. And this is why they want to dump funds into this all of a sudden, because they noted that the participation in the child care assistance program, the state's program to subsidize child care costs for lower income families fell 40% during the pandemic. I was a little shocked at that, that the, you know, there's a program that's uh, there to assist with things like that. And then actually the participation in it just dropped all of a sudden. Maybe, and that could probably be because more parents are at home, so they didn't want the additional expenses well, relative to that. I, I mean, I shared with, with listeners last week about the story about my son um, and the terrible situation we had. And, and just since the last couple of weeks since then, um, it's, it's funny because he was getting off antibiotics. He was having some stomach problems and he was at uh, daycare and he got sick at daycare and he was exhibiting some other symptom. So they sent me off, uh, and they said, Oh, you can't bring him back until he gets a negative COVID test. So yeah. I, I go and show up. Uh, my wife shows up in line, waits in line, runs into my sister and my niece, who's also waiting for a test. Cause she's at, got exposed to someone at school. And, uh, we go, we get the rapid results back. He's negative. Thank God. But they won't let him back into daycare unless he has a negative PCR test. So we had to wait and we didn't get the results from the, we went, we took him on Wednesday. We didn't get the results from the PCR test until Saturday. So I missed an entire week of uh, daycare just because I was waiting on this PCR test. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a net loss, right? It's a lot of collateral damage just for one little thing. So it's not surprising people aren't taking advantage of that program because it, 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 my wife and I were talking about today. We It just so happens my, my son's teething and he's got a runny nose and we're like, oh God, we're going to go through this whole thing again. So what did we do today? I, I This morning I got up, we got an appointment. I took him to go get a, a COVID test. Not because we think he has COVID. Preemptive. Preemptive. So when we go, <laughs> we'll be able to say, and I mean like, oh, well, should you be sending your kid to daycare with a runny nose? Well, if he has a cold, no, but he's teething. And it's like, he's one year, like, what do you expect? <laughs> like, he's like, and I can't, I need to work. I've been out like, it's like, it's unbelievable. And this is why they try to create this whole program to get people, oh, we'll just throw money at the problem and, and do that. It's like, no, stop the mandates, stop the ridiculous, get out of the way and let people get back to normal. That's what you need to do. Yeah. But they're saying because of that CCAP program, they're not handing out as much fun, uh, funds. So now childcare providers are having low enrollment because they're not getting that money. They have lower revenues. So now they're all closing down only because the state's not handing out the money. That's, that's the picture that they're playing, uh, painting here. And they're saying, uh, again, uh, more equity based. You were talking about, you know, the, the different roles that people might fill. And they're saying persistent low wages within the field. Uh, it's a pay equity concern. As is the majority of ch- early childhood education staff are women, and many of women are women of color. So they're trying to tie it all back to saying, "Hey, because labor force participation fell because the government shut everything down, it's it's the domino effect." But th- they were taking an aspect of, "Well, we stopped handing out as much federal or state funds, and that must be why." So now we have to figure out a smarter way to evolve this program, scale it up a little bit, and then see if we can. Con- continue just to hand out the funds just so they don't go away you know uh they're they're saying that you know right now if you want to afford child care a rhode islander needs to earn over 180k a year to be for it to be affordable now you know i have had two children through pre-k here in rhode island i was not making that much money i was in the military Mm. and uh i did it Mm. right made it work 
I don't know. I wasn't making 180k a year. <laughs> you know. Um, also, a quick note. Um, it is a working document because they copied and pasted a bunch of paragraphs <laughs> throughout. <laughs> it. I didn't. I did notice that. So they do repeat the topics often, but word for word, they're just keeping different paragraphs in here. So hopefully, uh, and we're going to send this to McKee, and we'll we'll let him know. Hey, listen to this. We're, this is this is a pretty good service right here for you. Uh, yeah, we're proofreading your document for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, the pandemic in, uh, impacted children's overall engagement in services and supports that are vital to healthy physical and behavioral development. Wow. Uh, Rhode Island leads the nation for rates of children's health insurance. 98.1% of children are covered by insurance in Rhode Island, ranking number two in the nation. It's not enough. It does not ensure that every child can equitably access care. Um, Rhode Island has accumulated more than 70,000 lost doses of routine childhood vaccines due to COVID impacts. So I thought that was interesting. And, and they're missing over 5,000 expected uh, lead screenings for children. So you, you have to think because of the different COVID impact, the normal routine care that people are going to get from their children, it's, it's not happening now. It's just, it's just more signs of collateral damage. And I'm reading through here and I have a section here. It says uh, how they're going to recover from the pandemic, the short-term actions in this section of the priority. There's nothing. I wrote a big zero. Um, it's, it's all fluff that they're, they're saying they're going to invest in certain things. They're going to divert families from entering the front door of DCYF. Right. It, like they're not doing anything that's quantified or actionable. This is supposed to be the plan right. plan for the next, you know, nine years, eight years in Rhode Island to get us back on track over all these government shutdowns and all this impact from COVID-19 and there's nothing actionable out of here. They said, we're, we're going to hand money out to some people. I'm not going to tell you who we're going to deliver some sort of service. It's ridiculous. And you know, it's and it, uh, back to one of my points. Uh, here's a quote from one of those community conversations, right? I really feel, and this is uh, from a executive director of a childcare center. I really feel like at the state and federal level, we need to invest in early childhood education. We really could benefit from investing in quality family-based childcare and center-based childcare. She runs the place. The self-surfing statement. Huh? Yeah. Like she's, <laughs> she's, so she's a, a private company, right? Saying I want federal dollars, federal and state dollars. Yeah. You Imagine need to, that. You need they to put get, more in here. Yeah. Absolutely. You, and they know once. I don't want to rehash my, my, my private versus public school thing here, but yeah, that's, that, that's what happens right there. You get, then they get hooked on that money and it's never going away. Like the head of Halliburton and Raytheon. Yeah. We need more money for military spending. Any, anytime they yeah. get in bed, right? Like oh, yeah. anytime they get in bed yeah. with the government and those money. Mon that money starts rolling, you're not going to give it up. All right, we'll go on to, and I'll try to go through these a little quicker. It, it's all just the same thing, no matter what topic it is. This one, their next priority is strengthening K through 12 education. Hmm. You know, students in our state face inequitable access to higher quality educational opportunities. <laughs> there who's, are, who's creating that inequity? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose a drinking game. Every, every time we hear equity or, or a derivative thereof, we take a drink. <laughs> We're going to be crawling out of here. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there are varying factors, they say, but some of these disparities result from local control and funding of education. So the state is saying the reason why they're having these issues is because the education is localized. And I thought that was very well, interesting. Yeah, it is a problem because, you know, Providence has a huge school budget in that they don't pay the majority of the school budget. And then what ends up happening is, is that the state is funding uh, this Providence school system. And they say, all right, we're Providence. We're going to fund 80 percent, let's say, of your school system. 
uh, you're responsible for the remaining 20%. You know what Providence is not doing? Fully funding that extra 20%. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it is a problem if it's not localized. When, they, when you're not holding your, your, your towns accountable for, for the money that you're giving them. It's an interesting point, too, because I remember one of the things when I was you know, working with Bob Healy on the campaign was that I disagreed with him and he was a proponent of is a statewide teacher contract. And that was always something that kind of bothered me. Like you're, 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 you know, centralizing control of a, of something when it's always better to decentralize and get it down to the granular level. Cause you, the individual that's, that's supporting that as the taxpayer, I have better access at my, you know, to my um, child's principal or teacher than I do to some bureaucrat at the state level, right? Like yeah. for me to, yeah. So anyway, but that's kind of what they're, you know, a shade of that in that, in that statement is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, and again, I, I do think the decentralized aspect of that is, is, is so important and we really, we should localize it even further. I think we should go the opposite direction. Right, exactly. But they're in, in this plan, this, this 2030 plan, they're afraid of something like that. they want more control because they're doing such a great job with the state takeover in Providence. Right. Yep. Right. Well, and part of that I think becomes like, if you have a town, say, you know, one of the in Coventry or one of those more conservative leaning towns, they start losing control of that town. Right. And then, yeah. and, and then, you know, they don't like that. Right. They don't like to lose control. It's, it's, you know, well, it's a regression towards the mean, right. You're yeah. going to have less control from the, communities that are doing it the right way and more control to the state who are going to be focusing and making sure they're diverting their resources to the communities who are doing it the wrong way. And you're going to end up with a bunch of mediocre and, or and, underperforming. Yeah. And schools. then the ones that get to define right or wrong. Yeah. Right? Like it's. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I thought this was interesting and only because this is the goal that they set for all public schools in 2030 and Rhode Island go. by the next decade, get your drinks ready. Rhode Island will have a public education system that provides all Rhode Islanders, regardless of their race, ethnicity, language, or geography, with equitable, take a drink, everybody, yep. access to a high-quality primary and secondary education, which supports student learning and the development of the whole child and prepares students for post-secondary training and education. Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing now oh. and not in 2030? Yeah, and I love how it's like regardless of like language, like... Like, I mean, come on, how many languages are you going to accommodate people in school? Like, I mean, if you're talking about a public education and it's not even a public education, it's a government education. Like how are you like you're you're diluting and you're you're uh, prioritizing the minority in your, your school. And it's again, that's not how is that equitable? Right. Right. I mean, it's just. Uh, and, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that if it's handled in the private sector and it supports. Oh, that, yeah. Right? Why if you not can set up a school for some, you know, obscure language that 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 you know caters to a certain demographic that's awesome right like and it could sustain itself that, that's great right I, I, yeah if it's the 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 riches are in the niches they mm. say right mm -hmm. here's another interesting thing that the state had uh some beef with you know the pandemic has magnified numerous long-standing systemic inequities impacting oh we got a drink <laughs> Rhode Island <I'm> students <laughs> some of which relate to the local control and the funding of public schools there exists a vicious cycle in which higher income residents leave a struggling school district, further reducing the resources available to the students in that district. They are pointing that that is the issue. Now, there's you, you have to think about that a little bit. Why are why are people moving? Why are people leaving? Mm -hmm. Why? Why is the population of Rhode Island projected to be slowing down and then declining? I think in the next five years. W why do you think that is? Uh, yeah. 
I wonder. Why does the east side of Providence fight constantly to keep their property tax rate down? <laughs> <laughs> and why do the funding of the mayoral candidates are usually the ones that actually win the election? Yeah. Big question. Big question. Yeah. So, you know, some of their short-term <laughs> actions for K-12, to they're going to work to turn around the Providence public schools. Which they, they've supposed to be doing this for, for since they took it over, probably before that, right? They're going to think about transitioning the district back to local control, even though they just complained earlier in the plan that oh. local control is bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Yeah. Contradiction there. <laughs> Let's see. There's other ones, but it's all, it's all fluff. There's nothing quantified in this plan. All right. Oh, next priority, enhancing workforce development and post-secondary education. It's pretty much all the same. Uh, they talk about, you know, the college and how they're doing so many good things. They really talked about college in that one. I couldn't think of a single thing to highlight in that one that, that, that really would have helped anything. Uh, next priority that he has prioritizing housing. Okay. All he really said uh, from what he heard from Rhode Islanders is housing is expensive, right? We should have done a, a side-by-side -side comparison with the planks of the communist manifesto and the uh, <laughs> sections of this document. We should have done it. Well, maybe we'll do We already read through most of it. We should have done a quiz show. Is, is it come from the working document or, <laughs> or the, the Yeah. <laughs> we'll think about that. You know, but you know, oh God, now I hate that you say that. Estab <laughs> this is the objective of their house housing objective that they said. Estab oh, this hurts me even more. Establish a target level of housing production, drawing from pre two thousand eight levels as a reference. Oh point. yeah, all right. So you know, again, the state is not in the business of producing houses. But now they're, they're, they're saying that without the state, we're not going to be able to produce these houses. We're, we're moving forward, John, by looking backwards. <laughs> well, I guess. You know, homeownership rates in Rhode Island have been increasing since 2016, and they're almost back to the pre-financial crisis high, which we could do a whole episode on what happened there, right? Uh, they're saying that the root cause of a lot of this, there's a, there's a large amount of disparity by race and ethnicity in homeownership. And now we, again, we'll save that for another episode. You know, they're, they're saying that the rent is too damn high. Uh, they're spending over 30% of income on housing, and they are looking uh, at figuring out how they can modify that, or dare I say, like they said, with the child care to maybe fix that to a certain level of income. They talk about the homeless, which uh, we've got uh, as of September 2020. So just the rent is too high. So, but the schools aren't funded enough because it's local controls. We need to raise money for the schools by raising taxes, but then those taxes are going to be passed along to the renters. They're going to raise the rents. Yeah. They're going to make housing more unaffordable. So then they're going to go ahead and do this vicious cycle through and through and through. And it, it, Which is a funny thing because I often hear from Republicans complain about renters not paying property tax. You know, yeah, again, exactly. it's the, you know, the... Uh, economic illiteracy of the Republican, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> no, they pay the taxes and it's built into their rent. So yeah. Yeah. what's going on? If you raise the property owner's rent, he's going to raise... It's raise the taxes. Raise the taxes. what happens every year. Yeah, they talk about the homeless a little bit in here and then actions to try to do that. It didn't seem like they actually, they cited a few numbers. It didn't seem like there was a large homeless population in Rhode Island. They say it, it is an increasing and likely because of, you know, the, the lack of opportunities in Rhode Island. There are lack of opportunities for folks in Rhode Island beforehand. And, you know, the COVID impact or, you know, the government uh, really, really shut that down. I, I thought the giving meetings were going to solve all this, but I guess <laughs> not. <laughs> I guess not. Right. Um, so they, they list out their long term actions and they're just going to increase housing production. That's it. Uh, they all, how are they going to do that? Just. 
And then there it is. That's it. We've well, increased said the housing production. They said they're going to come up with a plan. So the plan, it says we're going to uh, establish a statewide plan. Oh, right? uh, okay. Um, with all 39 cities and towns, and they're going to look in that. Uh, they're going to increase affordable housing production in particular out of all of the housing, right? Well, um, well, I know we're going to talk about this in the next story, but I talk about them about the supply chain issues of getting building materials and everything like that, too. So, okay, go ahead. So in order to combat that, right, they're going to, and I thought this was funny, uh, they're going to invest in increased staff capacity at state, municipal, nonprofit, and development partners. So they're going to fund full-time people to look at this problem. They're creating jobs. Yeah. Well, maybe they, they've got a, some deal going on. Remember um, Raimondo, the, the secretary Raimondo now was saying she was going to put a tariff on lumber, Canadian lumber. Yeah. So maybe that's what their plan is to get the uh, building supplies and price fixing or that's going to lower the cost of lumber. <laughs> right. All right. Let's, uh, let's move through some of these last couple months. So another priority is driving economic growth, right? That should go hand in hand with the small business stuff. No, he called that out separately. You know, Rhode Island is not home to deep regional specializations in the same way other states are with more mature and potent focuses. I wonder why that is. Why do you think that there's a big biotech industry in Boston, a huge right. finance sector in New York, Silicon Valley? <laughs> But what do we have in Rhode Island? Well, they cite textiles and uh, and jewelry in here, and they said, "Well, that's not really working out for us." But you know what they're going to do? They're currently uh, looking at uh, many programs to catalyze economic growth over the long term: tax credit programs, the investment tax credit, qualified jobs incentive tax credit, rebuild Rhode Island tax credit. So they're just citing so current programs that they have. But what it is is it's reducing the tax burden. So if you reduce taxes. The economy goes, goes up. up. And if you imagine do that. reduce regulation, it helps small businesses. Right. So imagine if they did it across the board, not just picking the people that they were doing that. Just, not that we've ever talked about that here before. But, <laughs> what if they just you know. got rid of the entire commerce corporation and reduced the corporate tax rate by the equivalent amount? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know what they did. You know, they're, they're saying, and it's funny because this is uh, he, he formats this like a brag sheet. Mm. Uh, and mostly so he could probably hold this and be like, see, I don't have to regurgitate anything when I run for office again. It's in the I working just read document. These yeah. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, if they said that they're uh, repealing the state, uh, the sales tax on energy and eliminating more than 150 uh, key regulations relative to energy. And what they're really doing. And when I looked at some of the things that they were doing, they're, they're removing some of the things towards green energy, <laughs> removing the barriers for green air energy. Goodness. Give them a, an affair, a competitive advantage. Just right? some, just something you hit on you, you, when you were talking about Boston and, and whatnot, what goes on there with tech and I, like, and I've, I think we've talked about this before. I'm, I'm sure of it. Rhode Island being positioned between New York and Boston, are, we're in such a great position geographically to have to support those two huge metropolitan areas. Oh, yeah. It's in every single like, political speech you've heard for the yeah. last 30 years, right? That's what everybody says. That's what he says in the plane. The, the only thing, yeah, like, but they do everything to push people away. It's like, it, it's wild, and the only thing they have in the plan here, but uh, that you know, the state's strategic position between the two metropolitan areas of Boston. I'm, I'm sorry, I stole your thunder there. That's I didn't like even know all it. they say. But that, that's and, it. And the beaches, and the restaurant, yeah. Federal Hill. Have you been to Federal Hill? The restaurants, <laughs> Johnson and Wales. Oh, oh you, yeah. So to to go with that. They're going to their their long term action is to execute a tourism marketing plan for domestic and international this. markets that differentiates Rhode Island from other states by focusing on our competitive strengths, our 
environmental and coastal assets, our culinary offerings, <laughs> and our art. You know, this could have been to a, like a, a three by five card. This whole plan could have been, we are going to get out of the way. And, that, and then that's it. That's the plan, right? Like, and that would have been done. So, so basically, they're going to just keep on doing the cooler and warmer campaign. If they really want to. That's what they said. You know, and the, the only long term actions is just marketing Rhode Island. They're, they're saying that, you know, we should we should strengthen the seafood festivals in South County. Moving forward. <laughs> A public art festival in Providence. Moving the, forward. The, the glass float project by Evan Horton on Block Island. Forward. Newport Mansions. Forward. Sandcastle competition in South County. Forward. And the Polar Express in Blackstone Valley. This is the economic growth recovery plan. <laughs> you know, I'll, I could keep going on forever. The, uh, the next priority is enhancing public health and wellness. Uh, we've talked way Again. too much about that, about that. They want to, but the only thing, their objectives are to eliminate health disparities and promote health equity. Uh-oh, I'm out of beer. <laughs> To promote health equity by race, which, which again, when they when they target it like that, doesn't seem like that's really the goal. Uh, move toward a unified state health system. This is all in the plan. <laughs> Let's see what else? Unified it's, health. It's system. cradle to grave. It's we're going to do something at every stage, every point, every you know aspect of your life. Yep. They Whether talk, business or personal. It's wild. Workforce shortages, hospital bed overcrowding from COVID-19. They just shut down the the, uh, the field hospital on Sakonatic Crossroads. Let's see. Another thing. Oral health And disparities. they fired a bunch of uh, medical professionals. Yeah. And yeah. EMTs uh, aren't operating as EMTs because they're unvaccinated. Yeah. All right. It's, it's, it's one of those things like there are so many things to point to with all this, right? You know, they're talking about dentists. He said, as COVID-19 spread, dental offices were shut down for many months. I wonder why. The government shut these places down. Hey, what about uh, the dentist, the scully, the oral surgeon? He has one of 15 of him in the entire state. And he, he has severe, like, uh, he has uh, Bell's palsy and uh, Lyme disease. And his doctor's telling him not to get the, the vaccine. And, and they're gonna, they shut down his medical practice. Yeah, it's it's wild. He works he works for like uh institutions like the uh, the ACI and Eleanor Slater Hospital for like people with like trauma and, and like yeah. stuff. And yeah, get him out of here. Yeah. <laughs> There's one of fifteen of them in the state. Well, I, I wonder why, you know, because the state suggests that they turn to teledentistry, which I don't know if you've been to the dentist. I, this isn't the plan, dude. That's what it says. Uh and believe it or not, when the state said to be a remote dentist that uh many Providers decided to retire, shrink staffing, sell their practices, Imagine or close that. completely. Post-pandemic, dental needs are high among patients because of stress-related impact on teeth, lack of preventive services, and increasing poor dietary choices while home during the lockdown. Yep. All of these were caused by the state government. Yep. And and I, I you know I I have I'm insurance agent. I have a number of clients who are in all medical fields. I have a number of uh, people who are in the dentist industry as well too. It's they, it's impossible to run a dental office in the state. You can go over the line in Massachusetts and not have to deal with half the issues. Why the right. hell would you ever set something up in the state of Rhode Island is beyond me. So this teledentistry, do you, do you like stick the webcam in your mouth? Is that how that <laughs> I don't even know how it works. How does, Flashlight and a webcam. How, how does the cleaning go? How it go? <laughs> yeah. Get on webcam and you brush your teeth really, really vigorously. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm going to wrap this up. You know, yeah. they, you know to, they want to, in, uh, as a part of the, the, the increasing health, right? They want to ensure uh, and care for priority populations, quote, priority populations. Use a race equity lens to address the needs of Rhode Islanders who experience a structural racism 
and provide cultural, ling linguistic, uh, developmentally appropriate care within all healthcare systems, right? So we need to do everything with an race equity lens. Uh, it, <laughs> It's, it sounds like a teenager like just forgot to do an essay and like pulled an all-nighter the night before it was due and like cobbled together a bunch of stuff. Well, yeah, it's almost like a... Like Re a, repeated the keywords that he knows the professor's exactly. going to want to hear. And they had just, a list of keywords, yeah. right? And how many times can I repeat this? Yeah. And they probably set like a little counter on their you know document. To, yeah. It's insane. Uh, just, just to wrap it up, because I, I can't stomach this anymore. Uh, climate change. They're going to codify 100% uh, renewable energy standards. Uh, standard by 2030 reduce the cost of electricity to encourage the moving away from fossil fuels um let's see the state needs to identify new positions and funding so that the department of environmental management and a few other offices uh, can continue to make progress on those ambitious climate change goals so they need support for ftes outside consultant services and economic incentives uh they should all be considered. And what they're going to do is all the people in these different offices, they're going to refer to this plan and say, hey, remember that bullet I put in there for you? This is why I need that funding now. And you said you were going to do this, and that's going to put pressure on them. Uh, again, this isn't a plan. There's nothing quantifiable or actionable in this. And th this is nothing more than the, 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 the typical political rhetoric that you're going to see here in Rhode Island. This is 53 pages of nonsense. There's nothing that they're actually going to do. Their last priority, moving state government into 2030, we rely on outdated legacy systems and network architecture. It wasn't until the federal government said we were behind in 2014 that we were going to do something about it. And now that it's 2021, it is now time for Rhode Island state government to follow the lead. This is absolutely ridiculous. I'm, yeah. I'm done with this topic. <laughs> <sighs> it's insane. Like I said, the only plan that should be is like, we're going to get out of your way. Leave you alone. That's the only plan I want to hear. Would have saved me a lot of paper. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and it would have been env environmental impact would have been and we probably would end up in the in a better position where we are at the end of all this because all the unintended consequences that are a direct result from all this tinkering and everything like that is just unbelievable and, and just to summarize the, the what they said in here is that all these issues are inside of the complexity of the government right all these different things are oh we have to reduce government in some areas to relieve the burden but then we need to scale it in other areas to in order to support you because of the the other parts of the government that have been hurting you absolutely ridiculous yeah so my little um story that we're going to talk about <laughs> kind of ties in i guess it's more government you know trying to keep people from doing you know what they need to do to expand their business it also has a great interesting green component in here right like I guess a big aspect of green, um, the green movement is, you know, eat local, grow local, that type of thing. You, you decrease, you know, cut down on supply chain emissions and all this other stuff. And so here we have a, a farm, a longstanding farm in Rhode Island. And this is going to be a short piece, but um, uh, the Shatner farm, right? Uh, in was it Exeter, I believe. Um, in, or, or in the process of expanding their green, uh, or building a greenhouse, a massive greenhouse. It's a million, it was a million square feet. It's like a 25 acre uh, greenhouse. And apparently, and I didn't look this up, but uh, apparently as it goes is in order, for, a farm doesn't, doesn't require any special building permits to build a greenhouse on, on the farm. So mm -hmm. they're, they're moving ahead and building this greenhouse. So what do you think is going to, is happening here? Of course, the town comes in and says a cease and desist by the building inspector then you need to stop because you haven't gotten any permission, zoning permission or something to that effect for, for, to build this, to build this, um, uh, this greenhouse. 
So the but there's no you know you don't have any requirement. There's no requirement. Yeah, so, so yeah. yeah. So the uh, the the um, town zoning inspector Hal Morgan issued a cease and desist order last week after Shatner's missed a deadline to present documentation showing why his Route Two project was exempt from zoning review. So he's got to go prove to them why it's exempt, not them knowing what the rules are and knowing that it's not, not, not exempt. Wait, and, so they have to, he has to stop what he's doing until they can figure out, so he can prove like, what about innocence until proven guilty? Right, like, exactly. Should you be yeah, able to do what you want to, until someone yeah, can cart art- before the horse thing there, articulate right? why you're not allowed to do it? I mean, that would be the, the logical sequence of events. I feel like event. I've seen this movie before. Yeah, right, exactly. So the, uh, it's a $60 million project and feels they are exempt, but there is a process for this, Morgan told them. Um, whether you're building a garage addition or a structure the size of Warwick Mall, like Shatner's, that will produce 42,000 pounds of tomatoes a day. Wow. Wow. Um, That's great. Everybody has to go through the process, said Morgan. This is the <laughs> typical mindset of a bureaucrat. Yeah. You must come to us and beg for permission. Well, I had to, to do, do it, you... so he has to do it. Yeah. I, got, I got the jab. Right. He has to get the jab. Yep. Yep. Um, so again, so we we're, we're just talking when we open the, open up the show about supply chain issues, right? So here you have a farm that wants to start producing in greater quantity, twenty you know twenty four throughout the 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 grow or extending the growing year throughout the winter, and you have the government trying to put a stop to that because well because you know. well and another issue about this the uh, the supply chain that's interesting they said in the article. Uh, is that they issued a cease and desist, and if you continued construction, you'd be fined five hundred dollars a day. And he basically said, "Oh, screw it! I, I'm got supply chain issues anyway, so I'm going to wait for my supplies to show up yeah. until we get this resolved." <laughs> so it's like again, it's like this is like you know the government can't even uh, they they screw up because they, they, they because of their own incompetence, it's causing problems in the supply chain. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so apparently, Shatner has argued that the twenty six acre structure needs no initial town approval because Local ordinances ordinances allow for agricultural greenhouses by right. Uh, so it's the right of a farmer to erect a greenhouse. So we said um, a greenhouse, we, did, like, we think, is a greenhouse. Right. Well, that's the problem. I probably it's a scale thing, but who? Ca- it's his property. He's yeah. got 75 acres. If he wants to put 25 acres of it to be a greenhouse, that's that's his prerogative. Well, right? when they wrote these these laws and everything like that. We, we were only talking about the technology that only allowed At the time, like right? The, just yeah, like muskets. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, on the pop-up greenhouses, we didn't have the technology to build these <laughs> assault, uh, assault greenhouses. greenhouses. <laughs> high capacity, high capacity, t- greenhouse. high capacity tomato assault greenhouses yeah. that are just going to just, you know, yeah. Right. Provide what, what us with- the state want to be like, yes, absolutely. You're going to go to a federal Hill restaurant. Yeah. You're going to get locally sourced tomatoes in your sauce. Well, they did this for Gotham Greens, didn't they, in Providence? But that was because it was a, they bought into the whole Commerce Corporation mm. and got all the, the, the funds and the money and everything. This guy wants to go build this thing out his, on his own in Exeter. Oh, no, they're no, like, no, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> and it's not just like he all of a sudden popped up a farm. The farm has been there for over 100 years. Yeah. It's the same family for over 100 years. They've been, they've been producing food for the local Not only population. that, but you said it was a very large project for them to start this up right so obviously they're investing something in somewhere probably someone local is erecting it for them right well that's the thing uh the article i don't believe it's in this one but i read they were gonna uh, 80 employees were gonna work in this thing once it's built yeah 
Or what so, about the, the the construction job? The, all the things yeah. they tout when they're talking about their economic growth, when they're building, you know, they're investing. Well, that's all good as long as they get yeah, to give you permission and get control. And, and they get and, to take a little piece of it, too. Uh, in yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they can yeah. shut you down and, and make <laughs> you do I would this rather and, them do nothing and take credit for it. Yeah. Y- you know what I mean? These people want to start and grow and do all this stuff on their own. And it can organically just happen. Yeah. You don't need the government to well, do that. I, I like the same thing with again, and it, it's you know the Amazon thing's another story because there's tax credits involved with that. But again, mm-hmm. it's the the NIMBY effect. The, the people don't want it in their backyard. They don't want. I live out in Exeter. I bought my house because I wanted to live in this great urban community. It's the people that complain about uh, they buy a house up in Foster somewhere, and the uh, na- the neighbor has a uh, a pig farm and it smells. And it's like get yeah. out of here. Like yeah. you you move to Foster. That's what you expect. Or even if the if a, a pig farm moves in next door, well. Yeah. That's their property. That that's a risk you take when you buy property. I've I've always hated the idea. I think I mentioned this on another podcast. The saying, "Well, I bought my property as an investment." Well, for one, investments come with risk, right? Yeah. Like th- that's just a fact of life. You buy a stock, it may may you know bottom may fall out tomorrow, and and same thing with property. Your value may go down, but you can also insulate yourself from risk. Why didn't you buy that property? Like mm-hmm. if you if it was that much of a risk to you, or you know get with your neighbors and pull your money and buy that property. It, the the idea that again, it's private property, and and there is, and well, and, and the funny thing about it is, is that the 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 laws or the the right that you should be able to to sue someone for the destruction of their property on um, their private property that's affecting your private property is taken away by government because it's part of the greater good, and this is one of the things that you know they limit the ability for you to recover against somebody who's polluting or anything like that because it's. It's it's uh, approved by the EPA or something like that. And that's the, the problem with government is that they're allowing this stuff to happen as long as you file, follow the rules and the protocols yeah. that to do it. Unless you're on the bad side of them, then, and then they'll shut you down. That's it. And you bring up an interesting point, from especially from a libertarian perspective, to show harm that's done you know, uh, yeah. to you by another person. Is the stink coming across? Can you show harm there or not? You know, that, that'd be an interesting um, exercise to kind of go back and forth on. I've not thought about it too much, but, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, but the idea that you, you, you can do what you want with your property, this guy's again, like 75 acres because the neighbor doesn't like to, to see the, the greenhouse or the people driving down the road don't want to see the greenhouse is in my opinion, irrelevant. Like they don't get it to yeah. say, you know, it's not none of their business. Absolutely. You know? So it's it's interesting, but again, when you tie it into the idea that we're talking about, you know, the uh, supply chain shortages, and here you've got somebody trying to increase their capacity on the uh, the you know the square footage that they have um, uh, access to or available to them by erecting this 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 you know uh, structure that's going to uh, allow them to do that, and then <laughs> you know, the, you, but you have to go to the town to beg the town for permission. Please let me do what I want with the property that I own. It, it drives me insane. That's why I, me personally, I'm actively, and I've told you guys about this offline, actively looking at property in the next five to max of 10 years to get out of Rhode Island. Just And, and I'm specifically looking to areas that are, you know, unincorporated townships and counties that have little to no taxes and zero to very minimal building regulations or permits and all that kind of stuff. You know, enough acreage so my neighbors are, I'm insulated from my neighbors. It's like, and not, not to be some kind of wacko out in the middle of the woods. It's just, I just don't want the hassle anymore. Yeah. And I want to be able to do what I want, uh, when I want and and not have to deal with some bureaucrat 
who decides that they don't like the t-shirt you're wearing the day you go into the office to get your permit and, and just decides to make your life hell, you know, insane. So I, I, I just thought it was an interesting topic that hits on private property rights, which is kind of the foundation, well, not is kind of, it's, but is the is. foundation of libertarian philosophy and everything st- stems from the idea of private property, whether it's self-ownership of your body or property that's justly acquired. But uh, so I thought that I thought it was interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like, again, like we, we kind of danced around it. But like, seriously, if, if these people had gone to the Commerce Corporation and they went and applied for a grant and mm. they said, oh, we want to do this and we're going to. And they well, allowed been a groundbreaking yeah. right? with the with shiny shovels. And exactly. Yeah. But instead, it's, it's some guy out in Exeter. He got, you know, his own funding. He got his you know, private capital together, going to do something. And, and, you know, he has it appears that he has everything in line that he needs to have based upon the local town ordinances. And they're saying, well, you know, that doesn't necessarily fit the definition of a greenhouse that yeah. we think the definition. And it's not that the definition, I'm sure it's not defined about what a greenhouse is in the ordinance. I mean, it's again, the same thing. No one's contemplating when this ordinance was written, some huge, you know, grow operation yeah. or anything like that. But again, why, why does it matter? Like it's, he's a farm, like the, let him do it. Right. The funny thing is, and I'll finish with this, the guy, well, these last two things, one to your point, Bill, it says, while the definition of a greenhouse is not addressed as specifically as it might be in local ordinances, there are plenty of references, he says, this is um, the building inspector Morgan, um, to what constitutes structures. And Shatner's project is a structure that requires certain permitting, Morgan said. But they finish off with, at the public hearing before the town council last month, a lawyer on Shatner's side, agreed that the project would eventually require permits for water, electrical, fire suppression systems, but those permit requests would be addressed later in construction phases um, as the project goes on. So they've already conceded that they're going to follow the rules as it pertains to the electrical and water and, and fire suppression systems, but they, they did their research and you know, their due diligence and said, okay, we don't require it for this. We'll go to the town when we get to that stage. Yeah. So well, not only that, but the, you know, they probably think, "Hey, I'm going to have employees in here, so we want to make sure that the conditions are set and yeah. safe for them, yeah. right?" And, it's, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things, and you know, it, it, one thing to say is is that um, you know, the, at least the state isn't coming in yet. It's a local building inspector, which again, I guess you know, in a, in a, a twisted way, you could say, "Well, it's a local thing," but again, you shouldn't be dealing with this type of thing on your own property. And the fact that this building inspector is overstepping his bounds and 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 again, like you're saying, proving yourself innocent to him or proving that you actually do have the right and getting fined five hundred dollars a day if you don't is 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 unreasonable. Yeah. I mean and and you know it's funny you say that too. There's just stories, endless stories, it seems, of buildings rogue building inspectors yeah. giving people a hard time yeah. and, and just you know, hassling the crap out of them. I remember sitting in a town meeting, I think it was in Cumberland, during the um the Pawtucket, the Pawtucket Red Sox thing and uh i think cumberland was going to propose a um a resolution or something against the the stadium or it was a big to do but i remember sitting there and they had other business that they were doing and they were talking about um uh a contract or again this is a couple of years back but some kind of um uh, contract or or deal where they were going to get drones to be able to map or or aerial air, aerial photography to map people's properties and then they would compare, they do that every so often, right? And then they would compare the imagery to see if anybody's, you know, built a, sh- a shed or- Got a new room. Yeah, added a deck to the back of their house or something yeah. to that effect. 
So now they're actually using something out of like something you would see in a movie, you know, like it's surveillance over in Iraq. <laughs> you would see, but uh, anyway, uh, that's why I'm going to, you know, you know, one thing I think of here is, you know, if they're giving this guy so many problems just for growing tomatoes, imagine what <laughs> cannabis is legalized. <laughs> I know. Right. Well, yeah. you're going to have to pay six figures to get a license to do that. So uh, yeah, but one, once you get that license, which is from a limited pool and a certain yeah. percentage has to go to someone that we hand select, you know, maybe they won't encounter these issues or maybe they'll play the game with that. Cause it's, there's no competition relative yeah. to that. Yes. At that point. But you know, I can only imagine the the scrutiny that a person that wants to start and break into this new industry. Again, we just talked about in this uh, Rhode Island 2030 plan, right? How we, we don't have any like focuses of industry here and it's mm. because we don't set the conditions. What if they did? What if they just got out of the way and they said it and then cannabis, once it comes legalized, it started to take off. Unfortunately, it's a failure to launch already because of the, you know, the president that the state set here. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Yeah, pretty much. So if you can't grow a tomato in Rhode Island, yeah, what <laughs> in Rhode Island of all places, right? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, so um, I I know we've been uh, we covered some great topics, and I, I do have one that uh, we could literally do a whole another hour on. So I, I I we don't need to to go into too depth much depth about this, but I thought it would be a, a good exercise because um I I was on uh the uh, lively experiment is a PBS show with uh, Jim Hummel as the host. And uh, the co-panelist was Sue Sienke, the chairman of the Republican uh, Party in the state of Rhode Island, and Joe Paolino, uh, who... Former mayor? Former mayor of Providence. You may know him if you're up at 7.30 in the morning uh, watching ABC6 in, in the arena, which has been a, a Zoom-only uh, pi- uh, program for uh, about... Uh, still. Yeah, still. So, um, so uh, again, yeah, Joe's a very nice guy. I, uh, I We were spending some time in the green room beforehand, and uh, very very cordial and uh he he mentions a couple times in the the whole interview that he's he agrees with many of the libertarian philosophies oh, so i always does he? Okay. i always uh love to do this but uh in the extra segment so after we got done with the the main segment uh we do the lively extra and it's usually a, a 10 minute segment where we talk cover topics we weren't able to cover in the in the other thing and um we, we start talking about national issues national economy issues uh and they were asking the panelists about uh, different ways or what the Biden administration needs to do to to get the economy back on track, get the workforce back on track. And, um, you know, uh, Sue gave her uh, answers. Joe gave his answers. And uh, and I got up there and, you know, what is the libertarian uh, number one thing that I think, uh, especially in the times we're living in today, um, my focus was uh, to to quit manipulating the interest rates mm. uh, to get the economy back up and running. We need to have uh, a interest rates raised so that we can have uh, a clear market signals to the economy for uh, when uh, people are able to, uh, you know, invest and when people are able to save. And 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 the the biggest issue that we're seeing, and we touched on it on a number of different topics, um, was how the cheap cost of capital uh, is affecting all these other industries. Um, you know, it, you look at something like the Providence Journal, for example. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of venture capitalists. Uh, who aren't making the return on their investment? They are in the stock market, uh, so they start buying up media companies, and they start consolidating, and they start selling the assets, and they consolidate sales, and they consolidate editing, and they get rid of a couple of the the writers. And next thing you know, you got a a, a couple of AP stories and a bunch of advertisements in your Providence <laughs> Journal, and you wonder what the hell happened to it. Uh, it it's happening in a bunch of different industries. Um, you know, I I, I talk about. Um, the uh, the real estate industry 
Uh, there's an interesting story, and if you look up and you want to do any research about BlackRock, uh, it's a uh, investment company that actually buys up like entire neighborhoods, like of single family homes. Oh wow! And they what they do is they do all the market research and they find uh, areas that are you know undervalued mm. in their opinion, uh, and they'll buy up like you know ten, fifteen, twenty homes. And they'll pay like 15, 20% over asking price, all cash, close mm-hmm. quickly, you know, all tied. And you hear the commercials. It's like, you know, these types of people that come in. And then after they bought their 10, 15th house and they've got a nice uh, saturation in the market, the next house they buy, they buy for 50% above asking, asking price. And if you all know how refinancing and sales all the work, comps, yeah. all the comps get. So now what do they yeah. do their whole portfolio book of business? They just jacked up the yeah. whole entire thing. Wow. And now they're getting into the rental business. And again, now you're talking about where you have these companies and they're working and they're treating this as an investment. And again, from the armchair guy that's flipping houses and holding on to it to these big hedge funds that are looking to get better yields on their investments. Uh, they're getting into it and they're they're driving up the cost of housing and stuff like that. So there's all these uh, things. And, and so us as libertarians, um, if we're really talking about one of the most, you know, we think taxation is theft. Mm-hmm. So uh, yep. one, one of the most insidious taxes there are is inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's stealing the wealth and the purchasing power uh, of your, well, stealing the wealth in terms of your savings. And it's, it's limiting your purchasing power, which is uh, reducing everything. Uh, that you're able to buy now. And so, uh, and one of the ways that is contributing to inflation is again, the federal reserve keeping interest rates artificially low. And that's where it happened with the housing bubble. You're seeing that happen with, uh, there's going to be a car bubble that's coming up now. There's an education bubble. Same thing. You have these, the cost of, uh, investment is really cheap. So, uh, when I brought this up, it really, uh, upset, uh, mayor Paolino uh, he was, uh, he accused me of wanting to go back to the, uh, the, the double digit interest rates of the Carter administration or something like that. And, and I can understand why he's so upset. Uh, Mr. Paolino is a real estate developer. He's building a mm, couple yeah, of big, yeah. uh, buildings down in, uh, downtown Providence. I know he's building a hotel. I'm sure he's getting a, a pretty nice interest rate on any money he borrowed on, on that investment as well, too. So he doesn't want to see interest rates going up and him not being able to profit against it. But I, I think, and, and again, this is so uh, we could talk about this forever, but I, I think what I want to hear from I, I, we have some uh, some some very cerebral and, and and authorities in the state of Rhode Island when it comes to Aust- uh, you know the the Austrian School of Economics here. So uh, you know, in terms of of you know the average everyday Joe, I know they see hear these you know these limousine liberals on the on the uh, on the news, and they're talking about oh how we have to keep interest rates low because again, as we see, it serves their individual interests, but. For the average everyday working American, why is it important that we, you know, number one, add the Fed, you know, get yeah. rid of them a hundred percent? Yeah, barring that, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> so, but why <laughs> is the it Fed that, completely? But we obviously know that's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> what function do interest rates serve in the market that that helps us as average everyday consumers? I guess there is. Well, is, yeah, like we were saying before, uh, before we started recording a little bit um, in the pre-show was. You know, the idea that, okay, we know that the inflation is going nuts right now, right? Like, it's just obvious, and there's articles, endless articles on it. Um, and the the Fed, you know, the printer goes burr, right? Like, it's, <laughs> it's you know, we know nowadays that it's not a printer anymore. It's a digits in a computer. But uh, obviously, for lack of, you know, sake of simplicity, they're printing money, you know, hand over fist. Um, so they're increasing the money supply, right? So they're, they're massively inflating the money supply. 
how are you going to get all that cash back out of the economy? Like you have to do that some way. And the mechanism to do that is to raise interest rates, right? And that's going to suck the money back in, into the economy. They just, they quote unquote destroy that, destroy that money. You know, back in the day, they used to have, like I've seen shows on that where they burn these, it hurts your, it hurts your heart where they show these big incinerators where they're burning dollar bills and whatnot. But that's the reality of it, right? Not only do they do that for old money and blah, 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 but yeah. But the reality is they've got to get that money back out of the economy to bring the bring the value of the dollar back up. And you know, that's that's how it's gotta happen. Can we ever otherwise it's 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 Venezuela, right? Yeah, it's it, uh, a Weimar Republic. You're going to be paying for a gallon of milk with a wheelbarrow. Well, that'll it's never like, happen here. I'll oh, never no. have to bring a wheelbarrow of cash to the grocery store to get a thing of milk. Yeah. That can never happen here in the United States of America. The, the strongest economy ever. Well, that, that couldn't uh, well, happen here. They, what? They, they, everything in the grocery store has gone up double digits since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Like bacon is up 18% or something like that. Milk is up, you know, again, double digits, double digits. Right. You know, they my, did save on your uh, 4th of July barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I smoked um, some pork. You guys know I like to fire up the smoker, right? I smoked some pork uh, last, last, last weekend, weekend before. Just, just for us here at home, we, my wife went to Price Right to get cheapest place to get a pork shoulder. Um, normally 99 cents a pound, a dollar 79. Yeah. Yeah. It's, wow. yeah, it's crazy. It, it's, it's, it's entirely something that I think people don't realize because it's, it, it just kind of creeps up on you. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you know, it was a hundred dollars was the threshold. I remember of like, you know, go out to the grocery store, uh, you know, it, everybody's different. And I'm just thinking about my own experience in terms of when I actually started like living on my own, going grocery shopping, and then not just getting it for myself, but getting it for me and my wife. And the, but I, I remember like distinctly that if you spent over a hundred dollars in my mind, that was like a good shop or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then recently it started to be like before the pandemic, it was like $200. Like, all right, you know, if we're going to go out and we got to buy something and we got to stock up, we really got to get some essentials. Yeah. It's going to be a $200 shop. It's like $300. My wife, yeah. the store, $300. Well, it's funny you say that because my wife actually gauges it on the you know price per bag. So she'll go do a quick grocery shopping trip, and she, and now she, the other day she said, it, "I swear to God, it cost me a hundred dollars just for one bag of groceries." Yep, yep. And that's you know to your point, right? That's where it starts affecting the Americans, where they they actually see this and be like, "Wow, things are getting so much more expensive." But but what else has changed? Oh, it's COVID. It must be COVID impact. It's well, because of all these different things. It couldn't possibly be because of anything else that the government is doing. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. and and this is what people don't understand. These are the subconscious signals that like people aren't consciously saying, "Well, oh, I had to pay eighteen percent more on bacon this week, so I'm mm-hmm. going to not get this." But no, but like over time, your grocery bills and your budgeting and you and you and, and this is what the libertarians believe in. They believe in the free market and and the market signaling showing things that are going to happen. But if your price of what you're buying is constantly going to go up, that's going to restrict the economy. That's going to reduce your spending. And you're going to spend less money subconsciously because every your staples and what you need to survive is going up in yeah. price. And I mean, we're talking about we're coming into the winter months right now. It's getting a little cooler. I don't know if you guys noticed yeah. that mm-hmm. it was warmer and now it's getting cooler. Yeah, cooler. In order to keep your house warmer, you're going to have to pay more in heating oil and gas this year. So, again, there's another expense uh, that's going to create a market signal that's going to cause the economy to retract and uh, and people not to spend their money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the other day we went out to eat and like the, the, the costs have gone up there. 
well, before I came here, I got gas. It's the most that it's ever cost to fill my tank before. Yeah. It's all these different things. Maybe we have to do it on Zoom next time, guys. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where, you know, people are going to start reacting to these. And, and, and they have. My family's modified their decisions on the basis of these prices. So I've decided there's a new economic indicator that we can use here Ooh. just in the state of Rhode Island. Okay. Where we can track inflation in real time. Really? And I want to tell you guys about it because it's a new organization that just started in 2019. Okay. And it's called the Political Co-op. Oh. And in 2019, the Political Co-op was fighting for $15, $15 an hour minimum wage. Right. But here we are in 2021, just two years later. And the Political Co-op is now fighting for? 19 bucks. $19 an hour. So we can track in real time what inflation is doing just based upon what the political co-op is fighting for for me. You heard it here first. Yep. Yeah. So again, yeah. so when we, when McKee, maybe he can put that into his working document. Mm. I still think they should go up to 20, <laughs> 25 or 50. Well, yeah. Why 50, not? Why, not? St- why stop at 19? Well, shoot. you know, I'm, I, and we could solve world hunger if we just implemented a minimum wage across the globe. So I, I believe you hundred bucks an hour. I don't, I don't know the owner of this establishment and, and whatever, but I, I saw them on, uh, there was a uh, news a news program about it, but Tully's uh, Cheesesteak down in South Kansas. I've heard of it. I've wanted to go there, but yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I, I, so I'm I, a big fan of the cheesesteak, as I'm, you can tell by my waistline. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I, I'm a big Euro- University of Rhode Island basketball fan. I'm a season ticket holder. I go to all the games. It's one of the places I like to go uh, before the game because it's right near the uh, Kingston train station down there. And it was, uh, it was great. Actually, I went, uh, a couple of buddies and I were going out golfing in Jamestown after we're going to get uh, lunch after. We had all these great spot. Go drive. Yes, we did. Fantastic. Great cheesesteaks. Uh, they're, they're closed. Really? And they shut down uh, and they, they specifically uh, cited a labor shortage. And they're talking about that they are not one of these restaurants that are stingy with their compensation or anything like that either. Um, they say a starting cashier with zero experience is making $16 an hour. Wow. $16 an hour is roughly $33,000 a year if you work full-time. As a cashier. As a cashier. With zero, typically a very young... With zero experience. Yeah, zero experience. I, I remember graduating from college in 2006, and I remember the average starting salary for most of the people that I was graduating college with was right around $33,000 a year. Wow. You can make yeah. the same... If you graduated... In 2005, 2006, and you graduated, uh, if you had just stuck out of college and, you know, worked in uh, whatever, you would be making basically the same as you would if you had gone four years of college. I don't know. That's pretty, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know. Is that inflation? I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe That's maybe, a testament to it right there, right? Maybe you get a 10-year working plan. You only get seven years. That's inflation. <laughs> I mean, you know. That, like, Man, that's deep. <laughs> so they... they... <laughs> So they're having a labor shortage, right? They can't find help. And I wonder why that is. Like, well, is I, it, I go back to again, my they're son. They're competing with uh, well, again, staying at home? Is that what they're competing with? <laughs> you know, there was actually a very interesting Reason article um, uh, that they wrote a lot about this. And they, they talked about the how it's, we talked about this earlier, about how it proportionately affects women more than men, is yeah. the, them staying home. A lot of it has to do with child care. Uh, but um, so, you know, I, I, I am technically an elder millennial. Um, I, I don't know if that's a, uh, it's, they call it sometimes Xennial, uh, ah. the, the Oregon trail generation where I'm kind of like the, the straddling the, uh, uh, the, the generation X and millennial. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, you know, we have different priorities 
you know, a lot of people, if we're getting back to people in the relationships, they'll have one person working and one person staying or one spouse staying home with the, uh, uh, with the kids. Uh, they're downsizing the size of the house. They're mm -hmm. shrinking the size of the families. Uh, people are opting to have fewer children. Um, and, and these are all things that are affecting the workforce because, uh, you know, right now, uh, another big thing that I'm seeing in the industry, um, working with a lot of business owners, small business owners, uh, there's a lot of scuttlebutt about the Biden capital gains tax, uh, uh program mm -hmm. for, uh, to pay for all this. And, you know, if anybody making under $430,000 a year, you know, your taxes aren't going to go up. The cost, what it costs to fill up your gas tank and your oil right. tank and your heat, your home and your groceries, that's all going to go up. But your taxes, you know, don't worry about mm -hmm. those. Yeah. Um, but I know there's a number of businesses that are seriously looking at uh, if you don't liquidate, if you don't realize your capital gains before the end of the year, your capital gains liability, tax liability could essentially double um, after January 1st. Uh, the, the tax rate is supposed to go up depending on what tax bracket you're in and everything like that. And and so people look at this stuff and think, oh, yeah, like, oh, I'm going to tax these big you know business owners. And, you know... I, that's not it, man. It's these small business owners. If you have somebody who's been working for 25, 30 years, they built up a business from nothing. They own their building. They own the business. And, and now it comes up. Guess what? If you built the business from nothing, you started from zero. zero. And now you're going to realize the capital gains on whatever you sell that business for. And you know what the worst part of the Biden tax plan is? There's no grandfathering in uh, on any capital gains realized up until the January 1st, 2022. So it, it, all that money that you've accumulated over your entire life that you think you're going to leave to your family, maybe you planned your entire retirement on, you're going to be forced to shut down your business. What is that going to do for our labor shortage? What's that going to do? Like think about people that own trucking companies and, uh, you know, uh, small businesses and, you know, restaurants and like, they're going to say the hell with this. Like yeah. you got, the prospect of, dealing with all the ridiculousness that's in this working plan that Sean, the 53 pages or whatever the hell he has. I'm just, I'm trying to find, uh, does McKee have a solution for this in his plan or does, no. does, does, there, does, no, does that restaurant have to wait till 2030 to because get see, this isn't, this isn't the sexy conversation. This isn't the thing that we're talking about where there's some marginalized p person or community that's really affected by this. And is going, no, this is a group of individuals who are hardworking, they keep their nose to the grind, so they're not going to show up in the state house and protest and, and do whatever because they're working 40 hours a week, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And it, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's the most frustrating thing because, you know, it, you sit there and you say to yourself, you're somebody in my position, a millennial, again, where, where you're looking at, and you've had uh, catastrophe after catastrophe, mm -hmm. right? You had not like you're getting out of high school. You have nine eleven happen, and like that whole throws everything into a tailspin. Half your friends are going off to fight. You got all this other stuff. There's all this uncertainty, all this, everything yep. like that. You have the housing market clash. Right when we're getting into the the workforce, it's one of the the biggest catastrophes. It's everything like that. the The housing market goes crazy. You have all this stuff. The interest rates are low. So what's everybody doing? They're buying up houses, yep. and that's creating a thing that we have. Uh, people in my generation have home ownership significantly less than our, our fathers and our great grandfathers have had. Uh, the income that we are making now compared to what our fathers mm. and our grandfathers have had. And, and, you know, again, like I said before, I think we are adapting to that. Our priorities are different than what our grandfathers and our fathers are. Uh, but everything that's in that working document, 
everything that the Biden administration and all these freaking boomers are up there trying to tell, like, you know, like move forward, we're going to plan for the next 30 years. Well, guess what? You're going to be dead in the next 30 years. And, and we're going to be left paying the bill for all the mismanagement that all of you guys put into place and all the craziness and, and, and everything that you've done. You know, these are the people who were the, the free love generation, you know, like, you know, the, the don't trust government, don't trust the man, don't trust the system. No, they and are the man. They are the man. And yeah. they and they're fully embracing that role. And it's it's you know, there's a, one of the founders of uh, PayPal uh, wrote a, a great book. It's called the, the generation of sociopaths. Was that Thiel? Was yeah, that, yeah, I think so. And it's, okay. it's, it's, it's all about like everything that's gone. And like, again, and if you're into all this other stuff, the, 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 what was the book, the fourth turning. Yes. yes yeah, yeah. It's another thing where you read some of that stuff and look at what's the, 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 this whole generation of people who are still in power. Think of the people, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, like, you know, these are the people who are just ruining this country and it's time for the, you know, the, the youth uh, and, and by youth, I mean, geez, I'm 38 years old. Like, you know, the, just, the, just the middle age of America, stand up and it's, it's end the insanity. It's yeah. just unbelievable. It's interesting. You talk about, <laughs> I, I can't remember where I heard it. Um, I know we're getting close to wrapping up here, but um, I don't know if it was Joe Rogan. I, I can't remember, but they were talking about like people like Pelosi and, and all the, all those how they will not give up their yeah. their power like it's time to like clean house and let yeah. new blood in and uh you know she you know i'm pretty convinced she's a vampire anyway so she's probably <laughs> you know but uh yeah it's interesting how that's playing out right they they, they do not want to give it up at all so so i'm confused and i, I want to see if any of mckee's actions or or would save that business you know so one of the things would the elimination of paper forms help in no, this case because if you've been in business for 25 you're 30 not, years you're not, you're not you're doing just, paper forms you're probably still using the fax machine and everything oh. probably, yeah it probably helps you it must be because they don't have an upgraded hvac system uh-huh. or maybe it's because they didn't if it pleases the crown have an increased amount of outdoor capacity for seating it must be that <laughs> or or potentially it could be because they didn't compete in state level contracts and that's why because they didn't get the federal funds to compete they, for, for catering yeah, or, dole, yeah. or something well, like because you know after small businesses the, the second largest employer in the state is, is the state the state right so if you have if you have the second large i mean that would be a great contract to get right i mean then the question the question begs to be asked well why the hell is the state the second largest employer in the state of rhode island yeah you know would you know expanding access to capital i'm, re- I'm reading mckee's mckee I, I'm going to send this to you when it publishes expanding access to capital, leveraging federal funds. Would that have helped the small business here? I don't know if it will. I mean, no, because because they've gotten the money. He's gotten the PPP funds. He's gotten the. You know what? You know what? The funny thing is, I've had people say, oh, yeah, I got all the PPP funds, but nobody came to work. And so I really didn't have that much money to, to adjust to my payroll. So, you know, what I'm going to do with that money. I'm going to do capital improvements. They're already putting in the HVAC system. They're already doing the roof. They're already putting repaving their uh, their driveway, the parking lot. They're doing all this stuff already because they have all this money that they need to spend. No, it was because the workforce development program wasn't available to that bus- small business owner yet. What workforce? <laughs> what workforce? We have the lowest labor participation. People are just are not going back to work. It might it might also be because of the lack of diversity and equity in his business. So that that must be it. Well, I yeah, I don't know. Uh. Well, we we could, I don't know how we went from uh, keeping interest rates low to to back to this, but again, yeah. it just the, the, shows, the point is that the state's plan isn't going to fix any of this. 
And if you think that small businesses are going to stick around until 2030, you're crazy. These people are going to pack up. They're going to retire early. They're going to go someplace else. They're going to go where there's, there's no less. income. There's no tax on their retirement yeah. exactly. for their social security. <laughs> that or where there are less barriers to entry to starting a new business. They're, they're going to figure out, hey, well, I don't have to jump through all these hoops and run on. And even though they're going to do an analysis by 2030 of, you know, what regulations we can reduce. Maybe you could have five extra people sit outside at a table. That's what the state's looking at. That is absolutely ridiculous. That's not going to fix anything. They're going to close uh, Federal Hill, Atwell's Ave down in Federal Hill on the weekends next summer. That's their big economic development. Really? Yeah, that's you know, do it. traffic. Yeah. yeah. Again, this working dog. They can eat outside. I'd allow you to drink outside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, and then when the protesters come by, it's like right. extra entertainment. Oh, exactly. there you go. <laughs> you know, it, this this plan, right? It says charting a course for the future of the ocean state. I feel like we're on a collision course right now. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing that they're doing to help. And, and like Mike said, there's a whole lot that you could do in a small three by five card. It says, get out of the way. Yeah. Let these people grow their tomatoes. Let them, you know, sell their cheese steaks and let's move on. Yeah. I, I forgot too. Isn't the governor's term term limited? Yeah, the governor is. Yeah, two, yeah. two terms, two eight term. years. Yeah. So shouldn't it be an eight year? <laughs> What's it? Oh, yeah, that's right. yeah. I mean, my, maybe, maybe that's why he didn't add to ten. Right, there you it's go. interesting since he wasn't elected. I don't know. Does he get the extra That's a good time? question. I'm we'll not to look a, that up. Yeah. Does he? Does this time count towards his eight year term? I would be surprised if he was still in office. I'm just calling it right. <laughs> well, that, that that Volkswoman uh, is is uh, in the race oh, the, now. Uh, the CVS, CVS yeah, she's yeah. The, reason, oh, yeah. the reason why you have the long CVS receipts. <laughs> oh, that's her. <laughs> yeah, and the extra care cards. That's, you said that in her. It's in her, not going to go well over the, yeah. with the green people. No, well, but she also oh, made, made a big donation to Mitch McConnell too. Did you hear about I that? saw that. I saw that, <laughs> and then she backpedaled. She's big. Her me a couple she, was. Oh, that was a long time ago, and I was. She uh, was. She was also. Got, I was young and. But she also got glowing praise from Kurt Schilling, too. Oh, did she? Uh, she was actually on the, uh, it was not called the uh, uh, Commerce Corporation. It was called the Economic Development yeah, Corporation yeah, at that, that yeah. time. And she was advocating that they take the movie tax credits and give it to uh, to thing. And you know, you know who put a stop to that? Our favorite libertarian. Uh, oh, Link? <laughs> I was just going to mention him. Oh, Link boy. Chafee was the one that uh, put the stop to that. Huh? There was a great article about that in, uh, uh, where he uh, retailed some of the uh, the arguments. And um, yep. I don't know. You know, I, and, and, and he's getting a lot of love from the local press in hindsight 2020 about uh, his way he, he handled some things. And I guess, um, I don't know. It's uh, maybe some of the uh, the crazy moves that they thought was uh, yeah. outlandish back in the day. It wasn't as crazy as well, they thought. We'll have to see because you know he's been in a few Providence Journal articles in the past few days. I don't know. People keep keep reaching out to him. Yeah. Lincoln Chafee, libertarian. <laughs> How about that? Well, you can register as a libertarian in Wyoming. Yeah, and if you can, like, think about that in Wyoming, you can actually register as a libertarian. You can't do that in Rhode Island. No, you no. cannot because we do not have ballot access. You don't run some of the hardest ballot access uh in this in the country why would that be but so if somebody you know a lost political person like link chafee who doesn't know if he's a republican a democrat an independent or anything like that he could actually go into a state like you know uh wyoming and and, and find libertarianism and wouldn't that be great if we could do something like that in the state of wyoming? i don't know anyway i love it yeah so i don't, I don't know maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 
All right, I guess we'll wrap this one up. I guess so, yeah. I think, I think uh, so. we covered a lot of ground tonight, yeah. for sure. I think we hit every single topic Lo- tonight. I think Longer so. episode, yeah. I, I think we can, um, you know, uh, maybe we should submit a uh, proposal, an RFP, uh, to do some consulting for the McKee administration. Mm. Mm. They get all yeah. that COVID money to throw around. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, they paid someone for this hunk of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Could at least do that. So, all right. Yeah. Well, idea. We'll put a pin in that one. All right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right so as always you want to connect with us right so to connect with us go to uh libertyri.com slash connect and there you can find our contact form as well as all of our social media links on facebook twitter and instagram um and of course those social media platforms all suck so you might as well just <laughs> quit and join us over at libertyri.net where we can have an uncensored unobstructed uh, conversation so libertyri.net, as well as um, don't forget to subscribe to us on all the podcast platforms, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, um, all the major podcasters, and don't forget to rate and and uh, leave us a comment um, or, or review. Um, and give us comments. You can post comments on our posts on yeah. on um, Facebook and whatnot when the, when the podcast comes out. And uh, we want to hear back from you, so it'll help us... Uh, choose topics and um, discussion points for um, future episodes. Yeah. Sh- you know, share the podcast with a friend. You know, I think that's uh that's one way to start the, the conversation on ideas. You know, again, the McKee administration, uh, they held uh, community conversations where they didn't include the community. They pre-staged everything, you know, so I think it's better that we at a grassroots level start to get together, have a conversation about these things. I guarantee there is nobody else in the state of Rhode Island that is talking about the issues like our perspective here and uh if if you think that sometimes when you hear the stuff on the news you, you think oh, i must be i must be the crazy one everyone else is doing anything you're, you're not alone you know yeah, it, for sure. there are things going wrong in rhode island but there we we don't have to be charting a course that is known by everyone to be a collision course we do have time to shift the rudder right so uh definitely uh share the podcast with a friend Get engaged with us. If, if you're looking to, to spend your energy somewhere, let, you, let us know. We'll point you in the right direction. And, you know, and I think it's just as important to keep sharing these ideas, right? We know that things aren't going so swell here in Rhode Island. Right. That's it. Until next time, guys. All right. Take it easy. Take See you. Stay safe. Bye. You've been listening to the Rhode Island Liberty Report. Be sure to check us out at libertyri.com.